This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live, giving you the in-depth analysis on all the big talking points from Ellen Road. Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Blue, White and Yellow, a Leeds Live podcast. Uh, no Conor McGilligan this week, your usual host. Uh, he's left myself, Joe Donoghue and Baron Cross to discuss what was a mammoth Marcelo Bielsa press conference this week. Uh, the need for a first three points of the season, uh, as well as the up and coming young players, England call-ups, Calvin Phillips, you know, the works uh, we've got to, to get through today. But uh, I'm sure we'll find time to discuss it all. Uh, first things first though, Baron, uh, hectic one today, how are we feeling? <laughs> yeah, if people if people can only understand uh, the technical difficulties that can happen at times and uh, the way that stretches your patience, but um, yeah, we're, we're here now finally, and um, yeah, all the better for not having Connor here, which is uh, which is great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's um, yeah, Bielsa was in good form today. We were recording on uh, on Thursday the thirtieth, so we're, we're two days out of the the Watford game for context when people come to listen to this. And um, yeah, we had Bielsa this afternoon, and he was in pretty good form. Some some pretty decent questions came up. Some some decent subject matter, uh, which isn't always a guarantee depending on what mood he's in. But um, yeah, we've got a few decent lines to pick through ahead of Saturday. Yeah, definitely, and and I think the the main thing that came out of of that of that press conference was you know the the West Ham sort of post mortem. Uh, he gave a pretty lengthy answer to you, Baron, didn't he, about sort of how he thought the uh, the West Ham game played out and how he thought that Leeds played well for uh, the first half and then the first half of the second half, which when you're transcribing it in 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 the moment is very difficult to get all those halves down in one go. Uh, but yeah, he was he was he was on good form, very talkative uh, this afternoon. Um, as well, looking ahead to, to Watford, there wasn't a great deal on on them, but we'll get onto them later. I suppose today's big news is is the the England call ups, uh, or rather the single England call up uh, that we had for um for for Calvin Phillips, which is is pretty much you know part of the course now. It's it's he is part of the furniture in this England team. Um, so I think we'll probably see him play, if not both games, uh, this this month. Uh, we'll definitely see him play the Hungary game. Uh, if he is rested at Andorra. Obviously, Baron Patrick Bamford not in the squad. Um, he's going to be out for another few weeks. Uh, that, that's what Bielsa said. So, um, yeah, I mean, what, what's your immediate thoughts on, firstly, the Calvin stuff, but but also, you know, the, the Patrick Bamford being out and, and the rest of the injuries? Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate for Patrick to, to miss out. But injuries do happen. Uh, I'm sure people were saying the same thing about Ollie Watkins uh, in the last squad. And he's obviously got his way back into the team after his injury issues. So not a not a major surprise at all, really, especially given that, that Bielsa had ruled out Bamford, you know, less than an hour before Southgate revealed the squad. So no huge surprise. Um, you know, we're, we're led to believe that, that that Bamford was in the conversation at least. I think um, Gareth and Patrick did speak to each other directly at some point between uh, the Newcastle game and now uh, to try and establish the the nature of the injury and the severity of it. And I think there was definitely uh, willing there from Southgate to try and get Patrick into the squad. But I think the injury, as with a lot of these big calls, sort of made the decision for him. And um, you know, when it's when it's the England squad, you know, you're never short of options to come in. And I'm sure, I'm sure Southgate's not going to lose too much sleep about having to put Watkins in instead of Bamford. Um, so it's a shame for Patrick because he obviously now loses that little bit of momentum. But um, you know. <laughs> Whilst some of us rue international breaks and the fact there's going to be another one in, in November, that will then be another opportunity for, for Bamford to try and find his way in. And I think you know, he's going to have to start scoring a few. I think if he, if he wants to sort of find his way in, we, we, we are well aware of how the team has started this season and, and the results on the, on the board. 
And if, if Bamford wants to get into that squad, he needs to sort of try and replicate what he was doing this time last year. So um, the ball's in his court. I think Bielsa has suggested that it will roughly be a month after the Newcastle game where, where Bamford should become available again. So I think off the top of my head, that would be sort of October 17th. I think the, the yep. Newcastle game was the 17th. So Bang on, actually. Yeah, we're looking you, at... were, you were taking the mick out of me for being uh, very precise with my stats last <laughs> week. You've got, you've got the exact day that the Newcastle game was played. Where's where's Stephen Colker playing this weekend? I, don't I have even no know who idea. He plays I, for think, now. I think he's in Turkey somewhere. I think, or at least that last time <laughs> I checked. Yeah, of course he is. Um, so, yeah, Bamford mid October we think. So he's out of the Watford game, and it sounds like it might be a bit sort of touch and go for Southampton. Obviously, clearly a lot is going to depend on, on how much training he gets done during the international break. I've not listened to the the official club podcast because this is the only podcast I listen to. <laughs> um, so I'm not too sure of what of what Bamford has said specifically, but I think I've seen a quote in passing suggesting he's he's not even running yet, which which seems strange. I think I've got I've misjudged this completely because last the start of last week, as in like three days after the Newcastle game, I'm sure he was out and about in Leeds, sort of promoting mm. a new cycle lane in the city with minimal strapping on his ankle. But clearly, he's either gone downhill or he must have walked very gingerly around that that PR event. But um, yeah, it sounds Bamford. Yeah, he's, he's not in a good place at all, to be honest. It sounds like it really is dragging on now and um, into the next international break. Um, but Phillips is no great surprise, was it, Joe? No, not at all. Um, I mean, on on the topic of sort of injuries, there was there was updates for for Rafinha, for for Diego Llorente, for for Robin Cock, uh, and Luke Ayling as well today. Um, and and obviously, you know, there's. Rafinha and Diego Llorente were the were sort of the the men who are coming back, but but Cock and um, and Luke Ayling is still still some time that they're going to spend on the sidelines. I think the most concerning one for me was was what Bielsa said on Robin Cock in that you know he's still got still got that problem with his with his pubis uh, as as Bielsa said, um, and <laughs> and and it, it just seems as though it's one of those where it could go on and on and on because yeah. I feel like it's a very difficult problem to firstly diagnose and then secondly to 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 fix depending on what you know what actually is up with him because we know how how creative Bielsa can be with sort of the the anatomy and (laughs) how he likes to convey himself in press conferences. So, um, I mean, obviously it's not, it's not great, but I mean, with the the, the fact that Pascal Strauch's coming back from suspension, Diego Llorente is is available, as as Bielsa said, Uh, Charlie Cresswell now making himself a sort of a fifth option. I suppose that the absence of Cock and, and Ailing isn't really too much of a, too much of a burden I, I think at the moment I think they are they are injuries that you can you can just about get by without sort of thinking oh well what if they were here uh, but with Ailing, it seems as though he's going to he's going to have a minor surgical intervention I think with the words I mean wh- yeah. wh- what do you read into that Baron like you know is are you concerned at all no I think um, I think Ailing is 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 very much a clear out it's going to be uh, we've We've since heard from from another source at the club that um, it's not going to be a lengthy issue, and and people shouldn't read too much into, into Bielsa's language on that one. It's not like Aiden's going to be out for a month after surgery. It's very much going to be. Um, I mean, I've not been given the word keyhole, but I think for people's understanding of the procedure, I think it's that kind of minimal intrusion in terms of the clearing out the the, the, the problem area in the knee. So the understanding is that if not Southampton, then maybe immediately after that ailing should be at least in contention. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I think by stark contrast, as you've alluded to, Robin Cock, I mean, this this could well be the the saga of 
of the latter part of this year. Um, it doesn't sound great, to be honest. And, and as Bielsa has, has again said there, it, it, everything is proving a bit inconclusive at the moment. They're, they're trying their best to get to the bottom of the issue. And I think it's a, it's approaching the sort of similar crossroads that Forshaw got to. If um, people sort of cast their minds back in February 2020, um, it was the night they went to Brentford away and drew and ended that, that horrendous run of form and ultimately sort of began the race to the Premier League. And that was the night that the news came out that, that Forshaw had decided to to go to America. He's going to go to Colorado and have some surgery on this hip issue, which had, which had dogged him since the previous September, which people will remember. And they're in this situation with the cock where they they have to look at it and, and weigh up whether it's going to be a case of allowing it to heal itself, allowing Robin's body to heal itself with, uh, with massage, with um, physiotherapy, with, I don't know... <laughs> A chiropractor and an osteopath. I mean, again, like Bielsa, I'm not. I'm not a medical expert, so I'm. I'm, I'm sort of clutching at which medical experts they would they would draw upon to solve this kind of issue. But either way, it's obviously dragging on now. You know, we're going back to mid August, so we're only a month into this, six weeks maybe. So they need to make a decision at some point. And as Bielsa said, there they are weighing up. Um, surgery of some kind and they need to make that decision at, at some point but um, certainly of, of those players currently on the absent list Cock feels like he's going to be the longest Aylin shouldn't be too long obviously Pascal's now available after suspension Diego's available as you've said and then we're hoping Patrick's knocking around um, at the end of I suppose after the international break really um, and Rafinha, of course, was was the big boost. You know, we had heard on the grapevine that he'd had a good week this week, and that it wasn't quite the same situation as last week, where it sounds like he really was patched up between the the Newcastle and West Ham games. And I think some people on the eve of West Ham really had quite grave doubts that he really wasn't in any position to play. And then he goes and plays like the way he did. Um, and I'm sure the the carrot of playing for Brazil has certainly aided him and his recovery. And just allowed him to get himself in a headspace where he's, he's he's able to get himself fit again. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, slowly but surely, it, it, the injury crises do turn uh, and ultimately the, the squad does look a lot better. And I think by the time Southampton comes around, and if not Southampton, then is it Norwich after that? Wolves? Wolves, Wolves before Wolves. Norwich, yeah, yeah. Because um, I think, I mean, we, we may well come to it in a couple of weeks when, when the problem sort of comes to a head, but Rafinha's turnaround is very, very tight. I mean... I think there's 37 hours between the last Brazil kickoff and Southampton away. I mean, that is savage. He's got to fly 12 hours, cross a five-hour time difference, and then either, I'm assuming go directly to Southampton because there's no sense in flying into Leeds and then I'm <laughs> to drive four to hours down the road. So, um, yeah, I mean, that it, it does seem quite tough to think Rafinha is going to be in a, at least a fit state to play that game. We'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it, but... If not Southampton, then my point is the week after with another week's full train with everybody in a position, you think Ailing and Bamford by then should be in contention for Wolves. Um, but we're getting there, yeah. And I think the centre-back dilemma is interesting. Bielsa touched upon it, didn't, didn't he? I think yeah. if you read between the lines, yeah, it sounds like Diego is probably the man, doesn't it? Yeah, I think the fact that he immediately stressed sort of when when the question was asked today about you know who's, who's available, who's back, it was a Rafinha... And also, by the way, Diego is also available today as well um, on Saturday as well. So, yeah, I, I I do think that Bielsa definitely likes what Llorente brings. It's just the fact that his consistency uh, in terms of actually getting minutes on the pitch has been the the one thing holding him back so far. So, um, 
Yeah, and, and and basically reading between the lines of everything else that he said on on the likes of Joe Gelhart and, and the younger players, um, that I think that also relates to Charlie Cresswell. You know, yes, yeah. he's played two senior games now, well, three senior games, but two in the space of a week. That doesn't mean that he's now the starting centre back alongside Liam Cooper. Yeah. Um, you know, there was also a lot of good good words for for Pascal Strauch as well. So, um, yeah, I think there's still a clear pecking order in his mind uh, with Bielsa. Um, at the back, so I think with the likes of Gelhart, with the likes of Cresswell, Somerville, they'll still be sort of they'll be between the first team and the twenty threes for for the remainder of this season. I imagine, unless there's something mega happens, sort of uh, in in the in the meantime, or there are yeah. similar sort of injury crises in in different positions, which requires them to be called on. But um, should we take a look, sort of a, a little bit of a look back and a little bit look uh, of a. Uh, look forward as well in terms of sort of assessing the, the the finer points of West Ham and then looking ahead and how that can be attributed to, to Watford this weekend. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think anybody that's followed the, the Facebook page will know they can find more often than not you and I discussing the, whichever game has just happened uh, on the Facebook page. So if you go out and if you search on Facebook for Leeds United Live, you should be able to find our page and you'll be able to Subscribe to our videos if you want those those snap reactions after a match. Um, and we kind of discussed it there and I don't think our opinions really changed really in the days since that Leeds are really, really good uh, for the first half. As you've said, Bielsa would probably go as far as to say 60 to 65 minutes. They were pretty much at a level which which was good enough to match West Ham, who, who of course are very much looking like a top six side. And, and he, as you said, he sort of I was the one that got, got both barrels. I think there was a few nibbles from... Um, journalists early in the press conference and he wasn't quite giving too much away. Um, I think we were all kind of going down this confidence route because I think we're all well aware that six games in without a win, uh, we sort of, sort of, um, what's the word? We we bridged the subject, broached the subject on um, uh, last Saturday after West Ham and said, you know, how is this going to affect morale because you've just played the best football of the season and still lost? So I think we're all sort of, sort of asking him, Bielsa, you know, how have you protected morale this week? Have you, have you basically try to repeat to them ad nauseum, you guys are really, really good in the first half and just play like that and don't worry, it will come. And um, yeah, it was it was me that got the sort of 10-minute answer and I could only grin as I, I could hear you typing away in the background knowing that you had to pick up the answer to my question. <laughs> uh, by far the longest of the press conference. And um, again, we're not going to, I'm not going to tr- um, repeat it word for word for people on the podcast, but... Yeah, he thinks they were pretty good for 45 to, to sort of 60, 65. And ultimately, you could tell he reads stuff because he's well aware that there's this narrative around Leeds and the basketball game trope and how mm. basically Leeds are undone and Leeds are struggling because they attack too much, they take too many risks, they give the ball away and then teams counter them and basically take advantage of Leeds attacking. So basically suggesting if Leeds defended more or were more defensively solid or more risk-averse, they wouldn't lose as many games. And he said that's absolute nonsense. And he said they actually defend better when they attack more. Mm. Because uh, as we've seen, many, many modern managers say this, don't they? If you are positive on the ball and take the ball forward and, and ultimately play more of the game in the opposition half, by simple sort of physics, the distance of... <laughs> The further you push the ball away from your own goal, you are going to you're less likely to concede. Yeah, exactly. Less chance of, of conceding. And, and he and he went in, didn't he? Sort of um, quite specifically, and said there was one instance 
where West Ham basically undid them with a counter-attack. And I think he, he, he didn't say it, but I'm assuming it must have been the, the actual goal that came yeah. and, and the way Declan Rice turned it over and they, they they poured forth. But he said that, yes, West Ham were very, very good. We struggled to deal with their individualities, was the word he used, which, of course, is individual quality and ability on the ball. But generally, the threats came from set pieces and throw-ins and static ball situations, I think, was the word he used. So... He certainly defended Leeds in that sense. And whilst the stats would suggest Leeds are giving away a lot of XG conceded and um, they are not faring too well in the stats columns, he thinks there was a lot there to, to like. And I think we all agree with that for the first hour. But I think ultimately, Joe, he said that, that Leeds' failing was that they just became too detached and the, mm-hmm. the back three, back five, if you're including the fullbacks, couldn't quite get forward to the, the front five, front seven, he, he called it. Yeah, he said. I seem to remember him mentioning something about the connection between Click, Dallas, and Rodrigo sort of breaking down in the the latter period of the the second half, and that kind of that 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 meant that the back five, if if you include Phillips as sort of one of the, the outfield players in that back five unit, was sort of pinned back a little bit more because they couldn't find that outlet where they were playing triangles anymore. So I think he. I mean, he, he mentioned it in his immediate press conference uh, straight after the West Ham game was he he thought that Leeds dropped off far too far too easily, far too readily uh, when it was 1-0 and 1-1. Um, but yeah, he hasn't, he, I mean, he's he's doubled down. I mean, if people remember what Bielsa said immediately, immediately after the West Ham game, you know, he said that he thought they deserved enough to, to get something from that match. And, and effectively today, he, he doubled down on that. So you've got to think heading into this Saturday with Watford, you know, they're obviously they've picked up a few few results so far. Uh, they've looked okay without being good. You know, they, I don't think they've surprised anybody. I don't think they've underperformed uh, the, the sort of the pre-season expectations. But you have to be thinking, you know, this is a newly promoted team. Leeds dispatched of pretty much every team below them at Ellen Road uh, last season. Um, so you have to be looking at these teams and thinking, well, anybody who is going to be around that area of the of, of the Premier League table. Then you know it's 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 going to be an, an ample opportunity to get all three points, and I think with the players coming back, with potentially Cooper being partnered by Yorente, which I think is, I mean, I I don't think many people agree with it, but I think that is the strongest pairing uh, in terms of they complement each other quite well. Um, it might not be the two most exciting central defenders, but I think they work the best, as we saw towards the end of last season. Um, having those two available, well, having Yorente back available, having Rafinha potentially starting. Um, I mean that is that's a massive boost to to the team. Um, I think you know that you have to be looking at this game and saying, on paper, it's three points because you know it doesn't bear thinking about if it's not. Well, you said it. You said it. That's <laughs> uh, that's the death knell. Um, yeah, I think we've we've talked about it a lot. We talked about it on Saturday. We've we've reflected it in our copy this week. Um, they definitely need to get a win on Saturday. I think if they don't, then we're going to go into an international break of two weeks where the void is going to be filled by a lot of worry and a lot of angst. Um, and social media is not a particularly level-headed place at the best of times. So it is going to be a bit panicky, to be honest. And, you know, even if rational fans continue to see the bigger picture, seven matches without a win. Um, and of course, that would keep them in the bottom three as well. Um it's just not going to be good for people's perspective on things. And I'm sure the club are aware of that. Bielsa, of course, is aware of that. And 
yeah, I think Watford at Ellen Road has got to be a game that you look at and say, you know, if if you are going to, if not match your ninth place position, then at least salvage a lower mid table finish. Watford at Ellen Road is a match you have to win. That's where you get your points. If we're going to allow them to say Man United away and Liverpool at home aren't the matches where they should be judged, Watford at home definitely they should be judged. You know, that that is a match they absolutely have to be picking up points from, and the players will be aware of that. Like, they're not stupid. And they, as long as they reflect upon the good bits of last Saturday, they're going to give themselves the best chance possible. Um, I've not watched any of Watford's games for 90 minutes. I've obviously watched the highlights of Match of the Day, etc. And of course, Ismail Asar is, is going to be the standout threat and Furpo's going to have his hands very, very full with that threat. But, um, you know, having watched the Newcastle game on um, last week, Watford uh, hosted Newcastle at Vicarage Road and... Saar was, was pretty fortunate, really, to kind of get a back post header. Of course, right place, right time is the sign of a player in good form. Um, always seems to find a way to get on the score sheet. But, you know, Newcastle are, aren't a particularly great football team. And they probably should, if not could, have won that. So when Watford now come away from home against what we would consider to be a better side in Leeds, we have to be very, very hopeful. Um, and the, the team on paper should be looking pretty strong. I mean... We're obviously losing Bamford, but I think we're probably all in agreement that Rodrigo was much, much better last weekend. And I don't think any of us are too upset to see him playing as the nine again. Rafinha, of course, will start. No reason to change Dallas or Click. They played really well with Rodrigo as well. Harrison v. James will be an interesting debate to be had. Of course, a lot will depend on how Harrison is trained. Again, I think more people have said, you know, in terms of how long he was in isolation for, we're, we're talking, he... I think if he tested positive one day later, he probably would have missed the West Ham game. That's how late it was. So I don't think he got any real training in at Thorpe Arch before the game. I think it was as late as maybe the Saturday morning before West Ham and uh, they looked at him, basically. He was able to come out and see club employees and they were actually able to take a physical look at him. Um, so if he's had a full week and has trained pretty well during isolation, then I think he's probably got a good chance given that Dan James hasn't really pulled up trees yet and Harrison knows the system so well. Um, Shackleton at right back would be would be great for me, and I think given what Bielsa said about this this need for for sort of senior players to to pick up the slack, and it's wrong for players that are young to kind of face this kind of pressure unless they're absolutely needed to play. And I think assuming Urente is in, in decent nick, then I think it'll probably be him and Cooper uh, with Furpo at left back. So the team on paper, I mean, that will give options on the bench as well. Um, they're in a good place, I think, at least on paper. Mm. One thing I do want to say to to anybody listening is that you know that Watford are the only team in the Premier League this season who've not played Leeds in their current incarnation. You know the the Marcel, Marcelo Bielsa version of Leeds um, since since he became the manager in two thousand eighteen. You know the last last time Watford came to Ellen Road was two thousand fourteen fifteen. Um, I think everyone will agree that Leeds were in a very different space at that time. Um, so it's you know if if Leeds were the team who caught their their opponents sort of off guard last season uh, and maybe got a few results based on the fact that they had that surprise factor then maybe that Watford are the other sort of the antidote for that they're the other team which will be I don't know perhaps susceptible to it because they haven't had two or four or six games against this Leeds team in in the league over the past two three years so I think that that's a potential avenue where Leeds can maybe exploit a little bit of I don't want to say complacency because every Premier League team will you know has an analysis department as as Frank Lampard told everyone uh, and and <laughs> obviously they they'll do their they'll do their due due diligence a bit of a mouthful in it um but he 
I think with with Cisco Munoz, the the Watford manager, being sort of a bit of a a bit of a non-entity in in English football so far. Um, obviously, got them promoted last year, but with a very you know, Watford fans angrily <laughs> reacting to that comment, a non-entity. Yeah, but in in English football so far, I think you know the the Pozzo family have been quite notorious when it comes to their managerial hires, uh, hires and fires. That must be said. Um, so, I I think you know the, the the preparation will have been done, but if you don't have that experience, that match the experience of going up against the Bielsa side, then how do you cope in the 20th minute when you're constantly overrun and your theoretical plan for the game is just being absolutely torn to shreds? Um, so, yeah, I think the, the, there is there is definitely hope that, that this can be the game which turns the corner. Obviously, Ilan Melier this week has been saying that hopefully this is the game which it can all click into place. Um, you know, it's, it, I think he speaks for everyone, really, doesn't he? It's just... Just let it click into place, and oh, we're going to do a, a blue, white, and yellow staple here. We're going to go with uh, the, the the score predictions for this weekend before we go into uh, a little bit of Calvin Phillips chat over uh, sort of contracts and transfers and that sort of thing. So, Baron, obviously, there's only the two of us today, so I'm going to have to come to you first because I'm not going <laughs> to offer myself up. Um, yeah, I think I've been quite realistic with the uh, with the predictions in recent weeks, and fans fans will, or listeners will know that um, I'm not one to kind of pander to, uh, to to the Leeds faithful. So I, I do I do fancy Leeds. I think if they play the way they did, um, they've they've got to be seeing Watford as a team to get at. I don't think what I think Watford were good on the opening day against Villa, but I think since then they really have flattered to deceive in in a lot of their games and haven't produced a huge amount of threats. I mean, Josh King does not scare me. He'll now score a brace. You've said it now, yeah. Yeah, he'll now score a brace. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go 3-1 Leeds. Oh, good shout. Good shout. 3-1. Was... They, they, were, they were just, they were buzzing in that first half. And I think that middle triangle with Rafinha, with a fitter Harrison, they've got as good a chance as any from, from this season to, to bag a few. Yeah, I think ultimately my prediction is going to be the same. Maybe maybe one goal less. I think it'll be two one, but yeah. a bit more of a comfortable game. But I think the question I have to ask is, you know, if you're not if you're not beating Watford at home, who are you beating this season? Yeah, you, you that's know, got to be it. that's got to be it, mate. I think that that is the way that the players will see it. That's the way Bielsa will see it. Um, that's where the fans are going to see it. And you know, <laughs> there's not any more ways we can say it without really sort of putting the players uh, <laughs> under immense the players pressure under the bus yeah I think you know it, it's Watford at home if you want to even have any remote hopes of being another mid-table team you've got to beat Watford at home yeah lads it's Watford as as a well I'm doing a little bit of a turn of phrase there which has been a bit yeah a bit, bit modified but um <laughs> Moving on to the last segment of uh, this week's Blue, White and Yellow podcast. Um, obviously, we in the press conference today, there were a lot of questions about Calvin Phillips's future. Uh, and uh, Bielsa answered in typically lyrical fashion uh, in terms of the, the, the beautiful terms that he used to describe Calvin Phillips. And I think he referred to him as potentially becoming an idol. Um, when he when he chooses to leave Leeds, in which guys that ever in in whichever guys that turns out to be, uh, obviously that's in in response to sort of the the very tenuous links to Manchester United to to Manchester City in in the recent weeks. I think it's it, it's one which to us I think seemed as just a bit of a column inch filler, really, isn't it? It's yeah, uh, you know, Man United need a defensive midfielder, but they don't play the system which Calvin Phillips thrives in. Uh, oh well, we'll just lump him in anyway, and 
again, Manchester City, Fernandinho's turning 37 soon. He'll probably be retiring. Who's a good English defensive midfielder to come and fill his space? So that is, yeah, I think that that's where they came from. But nevertheless, Bielsa was pretty honest in, in what he thought Phillips's stance would be. Um, and I think he articulated it quite well. He managed the questions well. But, I mean, what... What are your what are your thoughts on sort of the reports coming out today? And, and by the time people listen to this, they might have seen it already, but that sort of contract talks are, are, are reportedly sort of being uh, uh, have commenced. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's any great surprise, to be honest. I think those of us that have sort of been on the club beat and been sort of close to the club for, for recent months will know that, that Calvin's always been interested in, in that kind of talk and, and his door's always been open. And clearly there's, a, there's an order in which the club needs to go through things and Roberts's contract got done in the summer. Dallas's has been done. Um, there's, there's clearly, uh, I mean, Bamford's, of course, was was quite a big one, and Melier. So the players have, uh, the club has to sort of come to the players in, in in various orders. And it wasn't that long ago that Calvin signed his his current deal. But um, you know, when you look at where Calvin was and where he is now, I mean, it, we are poles and poles apart. And you look at where he is in the the, the pantheon of of modern English football. And we're talking about a starting, a regular starter for England. That's proper. I mean, that's that, that's a serious football you're talking about. And even if you put aside Leeds pride on paper, that's that's a, a real asset in the modern game that is going to drive a very, very high price. And I think all of us who are looking at this with a realistic point of view will know that, that Calvin Phillips has his price. Every player has their price. And much in the way that West Ham have had to negotiate this with Declan Rice for a, a year or two longer, any top six or top table Champions League club looking at international, the best international sides will look at where the regular starters are playing. And if they're not playing Champions League football, it's a very easy name to circle for directors of football. It's very, very easy to say, OK, there's a player who is starting regularly in international tournaments for a major nation and they are not currently playing European football. We can go in there, offer them that, offer their club a lot of money and take them off their hands. So it's a very, very um, rudimentary way of scouting players, but you, know, you can't argue with anybody looking at Phillips and saying that he would improve our team, especially somebody like Manchester United, who don't really have much of a spine, do they? Um, though I, I'm, I'm well aware that McTominay and Fred <laughs> showed, showed plenty of spine when they cut through Leeds uh, at the start of the season. Um, but yeah, I think the Manchester United stuff, it, I'm sure there is something in it. You know, I'm sure that, that they are having a look at him. They wouldn't be doing their jobs if they weren't. But it, I don't see Calvin doing it. I just don't think he will. He's made his feelings very, very clear in the past that as with any proper Leeds fan, it means nothing to him, that football club. It means absolutely nothing. And he's savvy enough to know that it just isn't worth the heartache and the pain, not just for him, but for his family, who will, of course, remain in West Yorkshire when he moves on. Of the number of clubs he would have at his, at his disposal, it's just not worth the hassle. I don't believe that Manchester United would offer him so much more money than anybody else that, that they would be the default choice. So He also wouldn't go there and win titles straight away, would he? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that that is clearly a work in progress. And as I mean, I saw last night, I, I saw last night's um, goals just on the news. I didn't watch the games, but I saw the goals and um, wasn't aware that Ronaldo had saved them at the last minute. But before that had gone in, I thought, wow. I mean, Solskjaer's under serious pressure when they went one 0 down. I thought, what is going on there? I mean, or did they draw with young boys? 
Uh, no, they they lost in the last minute. They didn't lost. They? Oh my yeah. word! Yeah, they'd yeah, lost seven. Mean... They'd lost seven of their eleven Champions League games under Solskjaer beforehand. I had to get one yeah. stat in this episode. Come on. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that that kind of makes my point for me. Clearly, he's under a lot of pressure. I think as much as we hate to admit it, they their squad. I mean, when they beat Leeds, the squad was good on paper. I was looking at our video the other day from the Old Trafford car park, and we thought the team was good then. But they've since signed Varane, and uh, well, Varane signed that day. But you know my point. He's he's in the team now, and Ronaldo, of course. So. That's a frighteningly good squad on paper and should not be messing around in third, fourth or, you know, the Europa League if they get knocked out again. So it's a bit of a club in flux there. So I think Calvin will 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 sign the new deal at some point. You know, I don't think it's any surprise that he wants to sign the deal. The club wants to sign the deal and protect their asset. And I'm sure they'll have a quite frank conversation about where things go in the future. And at some point, a lot of us have to accept that if Leeds don't sort of keep up with Phillips's trajectory, None of us can begrudge him that move at some stage, but I just don't think it'd be to Man United. Yeah, and I, I also don't think that, you know, it would be before he signs a new deal at Leeds. You know, I, no. I think that, that... That comes first. Yeah, I think that comes first. And I think we'll, based on what is sort of being whispered around at the moment, I think that's more likely than 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 anything else. And and I say overwhelmingly likely, as opposed to a, a move to a Man United or some, or Man City or something like January or next summer, which has been sort of flouted, but yeah, I mean, we're not talking. We're not. We're not saying January that, yeah. that, that he's going to move on and the offers are going to come in. I think. I think if Leeds, you know, finish, I don't know, in the bottom quarter of the Premier League um, next summer, then there will be quite a serious conversation to be had because because clubs will come circling and will will quite rightly ask the question of where Phillips's motivations lie and where his ambitions lie, and we might be in a bit of a Villa situation. We've just seen how the the Grealish scenario is played out of Villa Park. And I don't know how you feel about how that played out, but I think the Villa fans generally, after the initial shock, have come to accept it. And I think have actually feel the club Villa actually dealt with it quite well in terms of they basically recruited three different players before Grealish had even left. Mm. Yeah, I think the in terms of the club, how the club handled it, I think the club were 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 quite were quite good. I think also I think Grealish got a lot of flack for for something which, you know, he Ultimately, it wasn't as as if he was moving to a to a big rival or a, or a you know a a league rival. You know, Aston Villa are not operating on the same plane as Manchester City. No, Grealish went down to the Championship. You know, he brought that he single handedly at times dragged them through games, brought them up, um, and then captained the club in the Premier League. You know, he was he he had achieved realistically as much as he could at yeah. at Villa, and obviously the there was the there was the agreement in the contract that. If a club comes in with a hundred million pound offer, Villa's hands are tied eff- effectively. So you know all of those parties were were good to their word. Um, so you know I, th- I think well, unfortunately that is the nature of, of of transfers. It'll be interesting to see whether there'll be such a, a similar agreement in in whichever deal that that Leeds strike mm-hmm. with with Phillips because that would be a bit of a game changer. Then it wouldn't give Leeds all the negotiating power because you know a club like Manchester City could come along theoretically and say, well. We've 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 triggered this clause here, so you know what are you going to do about it? Um, but yeah, it's one which I think that there are parallels, but there are also you know there are similarities, but there are also key differences. I think the fact that Jack Grealish being an attacking player uh, does also change the the narrative there because Calvin Phillips, while he's you know absolutely integral to Leeds, I do, I do still think that fans of other clubs may come to underappreciate him a little bit still even though he's so integral to England, so integral to Leeds, because he's not this 
you know, I, I, I think in general, defensive midfielders are not as appreciated as their attacking mm. counterparts. But which is ironic because I think everybody that, that understands football would say that N'Golo Kante single-handedly changes games when he plays. I mean, he was at the heartbeat of Leicester's team. He then immediately went and won the league with Chelsea. We saw the other day in, in this, I think it was a Spurs game, wasn't it? I think I think Tuchel and everybody said that it, the game changed at half time with 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 Kante's uh, introduction. So. A very, very good example of, of what a, a good DM can do for a side. Um, Phillips is is obviously mixing in the same circles as these players now. I mean, he, he's obviously very, very close to Declan Rice. He's clearly quite close to Grealish based on England duty. And he'll be well aware what those players are earning and how their moves did or did not come about. I mean, I think West Ham and Rice are going to have a, a very, very similar conversation at some point. Although West Ham now are finally, after many, many years, sort of knocking on the door, aren't they? I think they're into... Yeah. The Europa League looking pretty strong at the moment. I think we're all in agreement. Moyes is doing a great job. Um, so maybe it's a bit less pressing for them. But, you know, I think we're looking down the line. I think what, what we can say is that the player wants to sign a new contract. The club clearly wants him to as well. And it should be a matter of time. And then once that deal is signed, we then sit and wait and see what the club does this season. And maybe hopefully even, even next season before Calvin seriously looks at, at his next move. Yeah, definitely. I think that kind of sums it up nicely, the the, the Calvin contract stance, the, the transfer rumours and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Baron, for, for joining me on, on the Blue, White and Yellow podcast this week. Uh, we'll, we'll be back with a normal episode with Connor at the helm again uh, next week. Um, and yeah, do check out uh, all the stuff that we're, we're putting out on leads-live.co.uk. Uh, we've got a, a full transcript of the Bielsa press conference we've been uh, referencing in this podcast, uh, as well as we'll have build up to Watford on Saturday and uh, live coverage, of course, of that game and the under 23s fixture at Leicester City on Friday night. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for, for tuning in, everyone. Um, speak soon. This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live, giving you the in-depth analysis on all the big talking points from Ellen Road.